I always believe that when I'm in Christ Presby, I do as the Christ Presby's do. So I, I'm not usually a handout guy, but I follow my pastor and I, I have a handout. So hopefully it... And uh, you'll notice there's a cute little phrase, kind of a play on words at the top. Sorry, I need another one. <laughs> it's a misspelling. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, so nobody is to blame but me for whatever's done tonight. Uh, so what I'd like to do in uh, the time that we have is to consider a question that has been on my mind for a while. The beginning of our catechism asks the question, how do we know that there's a God? And I think it's one of the most fundamental questions that we can ask and answer. So I have seven statements that I'd like to consider together. Hopefully we can unpack these seven. It's very basic and it's very simple, but I think it's so important to consider. So we start, general and special revelation, God reveals himself clearly and infallibly in both general and special revelation. And we'll unpack some of that as we go, what those mean. But he is a self-revealing God. And thank God that he is. Because apart from him revealing himself, we would know nothing about him. And his revelation can take on different forms. You have to know this. You cannot know that there is a word of God unless you know that there's a God. What does that mean, word of God, if you don't know that there is a God? You have to know that there is a God to understand what it means that there's a son of God. So the gospel really makes no sense until we have the basic revelation of God that he gives us in general revelation. We have to be aware of God's existence if we are even to understand Scripture itself. So man is created to receive revelation from God, and we're made to trace that revelation back up to its source. Now, of course, as fallen man, sin gets in the way. But as created man, God revealed things infallibly, clearly, and in our pristine condition, condition, we should have been able to trace it back up to him. Apart from God's revelation, we grope in the dark, and ultimately we perish. Other creatures can receive some of this revelation. You think of angels, they're rational beings, they're made in the image of God. I know some debate that issue. I do believe they're made in the image of God, in holiness, righteousness, and knowledge. Animals can receive some revelation. They can't understand it, obviously, but they do receive it. But man alone, if you think about it, is the one who receives revelation and can receive the self-revealing God too. We're the only one that he gives himself to us. And that's the reward. Somewhere along here, we talk about Hebrews 11 where it says, it's impossible to please God without faith. And so those who draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And the fascinating thing is the reward is him. <laughs> you actually find what you're seeking for, and he's the reward. So if we did not receive revelation from God, life would not be worth living. I wouldn't even want to be here. Because to know God is life. Not to know God is death. 
And that's what our unbelieving neighbors experience. They're the living dead. John says, or Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Any questions on those, on that first point? So basic, I know. But have you ever thought about these things? I remember in class, the professor, well, I, was, I wasn't actually there, but I was told the professor asks, who believes that scripture is infallible? And every hand goes up. Put your hands down. Who believes that God's revelation in nature is infallible? I think one hand might have gone up. One hand. And the fact is, it's the same author of both, right? And what God does is always perfect. So the revelation we have in creation and in providence is as infallible as the revelation that we have in Scripture. Any questions on that first one? No, it's a good question. Infallible, by that we mean it cannot err. So, I know that the creation groans because of sin. You're right. But as God made it, it is infallible. And it continues to reveal God in an infallible way. We, We can't interpret it properly. If we weren't sinners, we should be able to know God through what He's revealed in creation. Because we're told that it leaves man inexcusable. So it's not the revelation's fault. It's our fault. Should we go on? Okay. Man is created to receive, as we said, any, any questions on man is created to receive revelation and trace them to their source? That's what we're supposed to do with this, that he gives us this revelation? All right. Receiving God's revelation and He Himself is the most important thing in life, the one thing necessary. So Martha's all busy with all kinds of duties around the home and Mary's sitting right at His feet listening to His teaching and she has the better part and that shall not be taken away from her. That's one of the reasons we worship. This is the better part. It's so important to do what we do out there, but this is the better part. Now some distinguish between Uh, what were called the book of nature and the book of scripture. General revelation has been called the book of nature. Uh, It's revealed to mankind in general. Anybody can see it. Special revelation is the book of scripture. Reveals Jesus Christ for salvation. That's where we learn to be saved. You would not know a thing about Christ Jesus apart from apostolic witness. So our faith is based upon inspired testimony. They have to be credible witnesses for our faith to be stable. And the creation is God's first revelation. And what's interesting is it's the foundation of all other revelations. If you think about it, think about it. He created the world how? He spoke his word. You're right. He created the world by his word. But the creation was formless and void. How did he give life to it and bring it into order? The Spirit. Every further revelation is word, spirit, especially Scripture. So it lays the foundation for every subsequent revelation. We have the basic contours of how he is going to reveal himself to his creatures. Objectively, we have the revelation in the word, 
And subjectively, we have the revelation in the heart. And without the Holy Spirit revealing God in the heart, that word is a dead letter. So immediately following, or as the extension of God's creation, is His providence in history. How many of you think that history is infallible? It's a trick question. You already know the answer. It's infallible. Whatever happens is perfect. So the surgery and the cancer, tragic things, terrible things, history is perfect. For whatever reason, God does this and allows this to happen, even ordains it to happen, and he does so for the good of his creatures and the glory of his name. And I can't explain that. I don't know how that happens, and it breaks our heart. But I don't know how an unbeliever can handle those kinds of things without believing that God and his sovereignty ordains all of it to take place. So, everything that happens is a work of God who reveals himself through it, creating, sustaining, governing together form one great, mighty, ongoing revelation of God. Everywhere you look, every flower that you smell, every breeze that you feel, every cloud that you admire, it's all a revelation of God's glory. And our knowledge of God's existence depends in part upon this general revelation. He is the invisible God whom no one has ever seen or can see. He's invisible. Your unbelieving neighbor says to you, what, what are you doing going to this room and worshiping somebody you can't see, that you've never seen? And you can say, well, that's true, but we do see the evidence of his being and his glory in everything around us. So general revelation plainly reveals his goodness, his wisdom and power, and to understand it, we do need the spectacles of the scriptures. Any questions before we move on? Making sense? <laughs> okay. Statement number two. General revelation can further be distinguished between immediate and mediate. Hopefully those terms aren't confusing. Immediate revelation. It's given without any mediating agent or instrument. Scripture is an instrument. Immediate revelation. Every person has implanted a knowledge of God or the light of nature. Have you ever heard that phrase, the light of nature? It's used in our Constitution. It's called the light of nature because it is the imprint of God upon the soul of man. Reason. Conscience. Um, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness so that each one of us is equipped by God with reason and conscience, which is this internal witness. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all his inmost parts. Calvin says there is within the human mind and indeed by natural instinct an awareness of deity. Every single human being that comes into this world has an awareness that there is a God. From the very beginning, it's an internal witness. It's how you're made. It's how I'm made. It's the testimony of a moral nature. Where does morality come from? Why would it be wrong for me to walk up to John and just slap him in the face? Or would it be wrong? Every one of us would, think, would recoil at the thought. And he'd say, why are you doing that to me? 
And I'd say, well, because I want to. And if there's no standard of morality, if there's no God to undergird it, there's nothing wrong with it. So he gives us a moral nature and he puts eternity into the heart of man. And so we have the work of God's law engraved upon our hearts, as Paul says in Romans 2. And that's why the conscience that you have says, Thou shalt and thou shalt not. That's the only explanation. Good stuff. (laughs) Better the squeaks of the children than the snores of the saints, right? I love it. (laughs) That's good. So we are innately conscious of our duty and the personal being to whom we're accountable. Um, Any questions on that? Immediate revelation. The internal witness. Well, then there's immediate revelation. It's mediated through something, whether it's his works. Um, Romans 1, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are, as we said earlier, without excuse. There is no reason, no reasonable excuse for anybody not to acknowledge this God as their God. And the only explanation that we can give is sin. And there's no rational explanation for sin. If you say to yourself, why did I do that? Have you ever asked yourself why you sinned that way? And there's no good reason. There's no good rational reason for sinning. I do it every day. (laughs) I can't explain it. It's irrational to sin. But if we were truly rational beings, we would know and acknowledge God to be the author of creation and the Savior of our souls. Everywhere we look, we're confronted with the revelation of God's glory. You know Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Everywhere. Every day. It's just constant. You can't go anywhere to escape the revelation of God. So the visible creation makes known the invisible perfections of the living God. You have immediate revelation, the internal witness. You have immediate revelation, the external declaration of His glory. And that's general revelation. Any questions on that one? Okay. Good. So this general revelation in creation and providence in man is remarkable. As we said, it's infallible. He created everything ex nihilo. Is that a familiar phrase? Ex nihilo, out of nothing. In nihilo, into nothing. There was nothing. I don't know how, what that means. But space is something. You're a scientist, so it's something. So there was nothing. Out of nothing, into nothing. That's incredible. And he's revealed in the heavens above and the earth beneath and the waters under the earth, the birds, the fish, the animals provide this stunning evidence of his existence. The diversity, the fish. It's incredible. And every living creature testifies to this invisible God who created and sustains and governs every one of them. He never sleeps as that song that we sang. He doesn't grow weary, right? Never. 
And every living creature does so. And you see the Bible's cover and you read its words, but you do not see the writers or the printers of that book. His work testifies to their existence and their skill, just as God's works testify to His. So we understand by faith in the testimony that He gives, both in general and special revelation, that He exists, that He's there, that He's a living God and a true God. And He's the author of His works, and everything He produces is good and without error. And in Acts 14, we're told that He does not leave Himself without witness. Every season... Our, our, one of our elders, Elder Miller, you probably know him. He's been here many times, I think. Ernie Miller. I love his prayers before the collection. He's supposed to give God thanks. And it's like he prepares. And every Sunday he's up there, he, he prays for these wonderful blessings that we have that we take for granted. And it's an amazing thing. I don't know where he gets all these ideas, but it's fantastic. And I'm humbled by the way he prays. It's God who reveals Himself, and in whatever He does, He cannot err, and it would be blasphemous for us to contend that somehow He bore false witness. That somehow in the things He made, it's inadequate. It's adequate. It's perfect. It's glorious. And so general revelation cannot err, though sinful man suppresses that truth in unrighteousness. Any comments or questions before we move on? That's the, that's the question. He suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. He knows that there's a God. And this is the hope that as we proclaim the truth, as we declare the law, as we look forward to heaven and hell, he knows that there's a God. And the Spirit can use that to awaken his conscience, to flee from the wrath to come. Thank God we're together. Thank God for His grace in changing our hearts because it's nothing we did. Okay, so we move on from general revelation and creation and providence. We find that revelation leaves all people inexcusable. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. So the deep down in the very depths of the human soul is the knowledge that there is a God. There is this innate sense of deity in every reasonable and immortal soul. Herman Bovink was a Dutch theologian. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. He's kind of famous in reform circles, kind of one of those celebrity theologians, you know. Herman Bovink, and this is what he said, from the creation, from nature and history, from the human heart and conscience, there comes divine speech to every human. I think, I'm, I, think I have this right. When Helen Keller finally was able to break through. Was it Annie Sullivan? And she broke through to Helen Keller. And after they began to discussing things, you know, with sign language, finally Annie Sullivan communicated to her the knowledge of God. She began talking to her about God. And Helen Keller said, I knew that he was there. I just didn't know his name. Isn't that fascinating? Deaf, blind, dumb, she knew there was a God. Couldn't see the creation, but she sensed his presence. So deep down in the depths of the soul is the knowledge that there's a God. Each one of us was made to know and to glorify and to enjoy this God forever. And that means that man's ignorance of God is never total. Sin darkens our hearts. 
It clouds our thinking. It obscures the way we can interpret anything correctly. The unbeliever cannot interpret anything properly. He looks at a rose and he might describe its properties. He might say that it grows with enough sun and water. But the Christian looks at the rose and he'll say that was made to glorify God. Big difference. It's the ultimate purpose, right? So nature tells us that there is a God. The problem is that it remains silent as to the forgiveness of sins, which is what we need because of sin. And that would lead us, as we'll talk about in a minute, to special revelation. Any comments or questions so far to this point? So can, can general revelation, like somebody understand their need for like something more? Like they can understand their sin, but they, but they can't, they don't know who the Savior is? That's a very good point. I think you're right. The general revelation especially in the law or the morality that we're we're given, yes, you can become aware that you don't measure up and that your conscience, that internal witness that says thou shalt or thou shalt not knows that you you shouldn't have done that. And I know that as a sinner, I will have to give an account to this being that I sense is somewhere. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's hopeful, right? that God never leaves himself without witness, even in the created order. And I think that helps some of the unbelieving peoples of the earth to seek. Now, we would say nobody seeks God. I get that. Nobody seeks him in a saving way. But they have this sense of accountability. So I think you're right. Yep. Got to have general revelation. Or I wouldn't even know how to classify this being. Helen Keller. Yeah. It's infallible because God made it. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. But pre-sin, Adam could know God. Interestingly enough, though, even pre-sin, we have special revelation, right? That God spoke to Adam. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the need for special revelation was even there in the pre-fall condition. But you're right. He knew God because it was implanted in his heart. There was nothing, no barrier between them. And that's what will be in heaven. We won't need the scripture. We won't need preachers. You know, you won't have to sit there and listen to some guy up front. Drone on. Just kidding. So belief in God's existence is the foundation of saving faith in true religion. This gets us to this point, Hebrews 11.6, and this is what it says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's displeased. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That's foundational. You cannot please Him without that. So God's existence is the very first thing required of those who would worship Him. That's why we sang praise tonight. We were singing to God. There was a story about Eric Alexander. Have you ever heard of the Scottish preacher, Eric Alexander? He's another famous guy among Reform circles. It was after the service. He's back at the back door. You know how people file out. And the one guy comes down the 
Iowa and at the door he says, Pastor, this is it. I'm done. I'm not coming back here again. Eric says, well, I'm sorry to hear that. We'll miss you. Why, why aren't you coming back? I, I'm telling you, I didn't get anything out of that service. And Eric said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was for you. You know, it's for God. And that's why we worship. He exists and we enjoy him through our worship. So God's existence, belief in it is the foundation of our saving faith and true religion. The very first thing required of those who would worship. And you can't draw near and ascribe worth. That's what worship is, ascribing worth to him, to a God whose existence you deny. And the wonderful thing about looking at worship that way is that you can have a bad day. You can have very sad news. You can be sick yourself. You can be terminal. And you can come in those doors and sit in that pew and you can ascribe worth to God. You may not feel like it. You don't feel good at all. You may be in a bad mood. You fought with your spouse on the way to church, whatever. You can ascribe worth to God. So that when you walk out that door, you don't have to say, I didn't get anything out of it. I gave God what I thought he deserved. That's important. So if an atheist prays, he is self-deceived. He denies the existence of God. How are we doing? He denies the existence of God, and he actually does believe that God exists if he prays. We must also believe that he rewards the seeker, and of course, as I said earlier, he rewards by letting himself be found. I love those who love me, Proverbs 8, and those who seek me diligently find me. So, you know, the, the sinner who is awakened to his guilt and his ill desert, he begins to search, and it seems to me that if God in his providence is being faithful, he'll lead that person in his search and he'll find God in Scripture. Somehow, the missionary, the infamous bottle with the tract in it that washes up on the shore. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Any questions before we move on? Okay? Good. Is this, this is kind of like, this is a study, right? On Sunday night. This is not more like a sermon. It's just, okay, good. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I um, General revelation, as much as we've said, is insufficient for our edification and salvation. The things around us are wonderful, but they're insufficient. They cannot save you. You cannot be saved by living according to the light of nature, reason, conscience, General revelation. You cannot be saved by living to the laws of any non-Christian religion. Now that's explosive in our culture. That's the rub. Christianity is exclusive. Not because we're trying to unnecessarily keep people out, but it's exclusive because Jesus said it is, and He is the only way to the Father. So you cannot be saved by living to the light of nature, non-Christian religion, general revelation. It knows nothing of grace and forgiveness, and it often reveals God's wrath. Sodom and Gomorrah, ten plagues of Egypt, the flood. These are things that reveal God's wrath. But they don't tell us about His forgiveness. And we need that revelation of His forgiveness. So... This knowledge is supplied by general revelation. It doesn't reveal Jesus, and that leads us to special revelation. It's necessary for our edification and our salvation. 
this book, this inspired, infallible book, is the foundation of our faith. Without that book, wherever it is, I'm ashamed to say I'm a pastor without bringing my Bible, but I have one in my phone. Um, Our faith is based upon the testimony of these inspired writers. And that's pretty amazing if you think about it. My life and my eternal destiny rests upon the credibility of the Apostle Paul. Special revelation. It is infallible. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable, we're told, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man, the woman, the child of God may be complete, equipped, not for some good works, but for every good work. Everything you're required to do as a Christian, everything you want to do as a Christian to express your gratitude is in Scripture. And only by God's Word and Spirit is He revealed sufficiently and effectually for our salvation. How thankful we should be. That's why I'm thankful that here at Christ's prayers, the Word is central. That's why I'm thankful that Jacob is a faithful preacher of the Word. I don't care what else he does. Well, I sort of do. But (laughs) most importantly, he's a preacher of the Word. And I know that you're thankful for that. Um, This inspired, this infallible Word reveals Jesus Christ in His work of redemption. We're told that nobody's ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He's made Him known. That's what amazes me. He told the disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that when I come again, I'll take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, thank God for Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And at the end of that, he says, now that you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So if you've seen Jesus, that's the exact representation of the Father. We've seen Him in Him. We can't see Jesus apart from Scripture. So we have to have Scripture. And to recognize and understand God's Word, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I know you know this verse in 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person, that's the person without a renewed heart, The person without faith in Christ, the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Does not. Refuses to. For, what's that? Nor can they. Exactly. You know it. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Will not, cannot, right? So there's no false guilt when you're witnessing to your neighbor and he rejects it. You've done your job. It's up to the Holy Spirit to change his heart and to give him that spiritual understanding. And no one comes to the Father except through Christ. So, obviously, objectively, we need the Word of God, and subjectively, we need the gift of faith, the revelation of God in the world, and the revelation of God in the heart. We need that through the Scriptures. Any comments or questions on anything we've talked about? I know it's kind of basic, but it's always good to be reminded
that God has given are trying to be erased. Um, I think the biggest one, obviously, is like the erasing of gender. So you can be whatever you want to be as long as you feel that it's true, it's true. Um, and like that's elevated as being a good and freeing thing. And like, look how modern and wonderful we are. But actually, it's to our detriment. And so I think that the gospel too, like at um, Rock Mill where I work, there's just a lot of people who are like genuinely spiritual. And they talk about, well, I believe there's a God, but I think it's probably wrong of us to make it exclusive to one religion. And I think that that's wise and good, but actually it's bad and dangerous because they're getting further and further away from the truth. Right. But they have this false sense of security that they believe in God. Um, It'll all work out. Yeah. It's all going to be... It won't. It won't. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that's part of it. We cannot fathom in our finite minds, we cannot fathom an eternal punishment. Just like we can't fathom an eternal life. Right? It's hard. And you're right. It's... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what my that's what Mark Van Junen always thought it was growing up, and he didn't want to go to heaven. Yeah. If I got to play a harp on a cloud, that's kind of boring, you know. We're going to be working. But aren't aren't those people doing the same thing as everybody since the beginning of time when they shaped idols out of wood or stone or gold or whatever? They're just shaping the god out of their own image, what they want God to be. That's right. That's exactly right. And they want to be God. That was the original lie, right? You want to be gods. And Satan is very shrewd in erasing all the distinctions that our God of order has created. Um, The distinction between male and female, the distinction between ranks of authority, they're not bad. You know, we want everybody to be on an even playing field, equal. We're not equal. We're not equal in gifts. We're not equal in abilities. We're not equal in age. We're so unequal. But in the sight of God, we're valued equally. But all these things, the, 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 the ranks and uh, positions and places that God gives and delegates authority, that's a good thing. So I think Anjanette's right. It's hard to see. I think there's some difficulty in that, too. That echoes of the why have you made me this way um, or why have you made that person that way Um, and uh, so when we push against that um, like our observations might be valid Uh, like uh, whenever we talk about why would a good God let this or that and uh, we don't fully, we can't fully understand God's plan. And I think part of that is uh, have you been given the faith to see that and trust God anyway, or do you uh, see what you think is wrong in the world and then reject God? Yeah, no, that's a good observation. The tenth commandment, right? Thou shalt not covet. And the duties required is a full contentment with our own condition, recognizing that God in His infinite wisdom made me this way. And God in His infinite wisdom made Him that way. And I'm called as a human being, a moral creature, to be content 
and none of us are. So we covet, you know, and we disbelieve that God is wise. Even Paul says that. I have learned to become wise. That's exactly right. Good point. That's exactly he learned it. And adversity typically is the way that we learn most. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing. And I think covetousness is the only commandment that's mentioned twice. And it kind of rounds out all the commandments because you can find covetousness in every single one of them. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I covet the position of God. I want that position. And it goes on. you know. So, yeah, it's really hard. And I think we see, and the scripture seems to suggest, that as time goes on and we get nearer to the end, whenever that is, um, bad gets worse and better gets best. The gospel flourishes, but evil seems to multiply. So I know I have friends who get really bent out of shape because of what's happening to our country. And I, it's sad. It's, it's unraveling. But, okay, God in His providence knows what He's doing. And the gospel is going to have a place to be and to flourish. Any other questions or comments that you'd like to make? I know... Yeah. Does that sort of like science? Yeah, like somebody said, like. Those scientists, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I, <laughs> no, I think they are in perfect harmony. And uh, though we might find a seeming contradiction, they do not contradict. Science is a wonderful endeavor, Psalm 111. Great are your works, studied by all those who delight in them. So it's an important endeavor. We love our believing scientists because they help us to understand and appreciate God's creation. And they should never... Well, we know they don't contradict. So if you find one, the problem is not in science. It might be your science. The problem is not in God's revelation. It's the problems in us. Our interpretation. Our own biases, exactly. Yeah. Very good point. How many times have there been seeming contradictions in history until later they find the tools and they can understand better? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sun rises and the sun sets. Is that true? No. Yeah, right. Follow the money trail, right? Well, hey, thank you very much for your kind attention. I love coming here and you're a delightful congregation. I know, like I said, every Tuesday morning we have a staff meeting and Jacob always brings us good reports and we're thrilled with what's going on. So why don't we close in prayer? Are we going to do something else? Okay. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight thankful that we've been able to consider the revelation that you have so wisely and perfectly and graciously given to us generally and specifically in Scripture. We are grateful that you do exist and that you are our God and that we can address you as Father through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts and may you be pleased to accept our worship for we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.